0: Dear dad, everything you ever told me was true. I tell my friends how honest you were and what I've learned from you, dad. I tell my friends the principles that I learned from you. Dad, everything you said was true, except for one thing, dad. Our family car, it really will go 120 miles per hour. (laughs) And I look at these letters between fathers and sons and daughters and their dads, and I think what a blessing it is. I've also prayed for you this week, though, that you're both father and mother to your children, or mother and father to your children. I've asked God to minister to you through this passage of scripture that Pastor Cory just read to you a few moments ago from Psalm 128. I preached last year from Psalm 127 and in that Psalm we looked at that unless the Lord builds the house, then those that labor, they labor in vain. The Bible is real clear about our ministry and what God does in and through our lives. He says unless the Lord protects the city, the sentries guarded in vain, but then God does something i've never seen anywhere else in the bible in psalm 127 we talked about this last year god never defines happiness anywhere in the bible he tells you that you're happy if you do certain things he tells you if you'll live this way if you'll do this you'll find joy you'll find happiness but one time in the bible god gives us i think a definition of happiness and in that scripture he equates children with happiness verse 4 excuse me verse 3 he says children are a gift from the lord they're a reward from him children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand how joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them as god takes children and he equates them with happiness now that can be difficult to comprehend sometime When you're talking to a rebellious teenager that can be difficult to go God this is joy or when you're trying to get a teenager to talk to you I mean one dad told me one time he says getting my teenage son to talk to me is like trying to suck a bowling ball through a garden hose and I just went I know I understand you know there are those times that it's difficult and then when pastor cory reads you psalms 128 it's a powerful powerful psalm. and you look at that and you go wow these are the blessings that god brings into my life well i think to understand this there's two principles before we even get into psalms 128 that you got to understand number one god designed the family The family is God's idea. Family is not the government's idea. The family is not society's idea. I can tell you right now, men did not come up with the idea of family. If the evolutionists are correct, men did not come up with the idea of family. Because when I watch some of these these channels on Discovery Channel, then the idea is that evolution wants us just to kind of spread our seed as far as we can. But family was God's idea. Marriage was God's idea. As he created a man and a woman and a woman, and he blessed them and he brought them together. And the second principle you have to understand is that God, when he reveals himself, he reveals himself in terms of a family. He reveals himself as our Father. As a matter of fact, it's how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven. Now, understanding that principle means you've got to understand the principle of the cross. God's children went astray in sin. God's children sinned against Him. The ultimate goodness, the ultimate love, the ultimate judge of all the earth, the ultimate reality is God. Everything exists, everything has its being, everything moves in God. And God the Father, didn't leave us so to our own devices, but Jesus plunged headlong into this world because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And God becomes the model for every father that wants to be a good dad. And so those two concepts are extremely important in trying to understand this passage of Scripture. I want you to stand with me and I want to read to you Hebrews 11 and 7 and I want you to get a pencil or a pen because there's a phrase here especially for the guys I want you to underline it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family or a large ark to save his family from the flood he obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before I want you to underline that phrase save his family you do that right now every man in the church if you don't have an outline get an outline save his family save his family guys i want you to look at me right here now your obligation your calling is to work for the salvation of your family jesus saves us from our sins Jesus' blood cleanses us from our sins. But we, you and me, God calls you and me to live salvific lives for the salvation of our family. To to do everything we can that lies within our power and lies within our faith as we seek and we intercede before God to save our family. And Noah did this because Noah believed the Lord. Noah did this because he had faith in God. He trusted the Lord. and That's why Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Hall of Fame for Faith. That's why Noah's name is listed there. That's better than being in Canton. That's better than being in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Noah's name is in that Hall of Faith because he obeyed God to save his family. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord Jesus, we love you. We declare our worship and our praise and our faith in you. And God, I feel like Jeremiah this morning, like a hammer is in my hands and in my spirit to crush every stone of opposition. Lord, our men need this word from you. It's not my word. God, it's it's your word. I could have never written something like Psalms 127 and 128. So I pray that you would open our eyes and stir the heart of every man, every young man in this room to become, to aspire, to want to be with everything within us, the kind of man that God has called us to be. Lord, some may have come worried that they were going to be beat up for not being the kind of man that they ought to be. But Lord, you haven't brought them here to beat them up. you brought them here to lift them up. Some, Lord, may became discouraged, and you brought them here to encourage them, Lord. Some may have come here today without any joy in their heart and life, and you have come to baptize them with joy today. So I pray right now in the holy name of Jesus, would you visit us with the power of the blessed Holy Spirit so that every man can be a blessing to his wife and his children and, Lord, to the communities that you've called us to live in and serve in. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. Well, Let's give him a hand of praise and then you may be seated this morning. Hallelujah. Well, the reason that Noah built this ark is one of the things that I want to talk to you about. Noah took God seriously. Noah took God at his word, and that's the call for every single one of us in here. There's something different about passionate followers of Jesus Christ. We take God seriously. We take his word seriously. We, we apply his word to our lives. For people who take God seriously, they live a different life kind of life. And in our world today, you kind of stand out if you take God seriously, because for you and for me, God is not only the center of everything we do, we've seen that beautiful course here, Jesus be the center of it all, but God is both our starting point and God is our ending point. We found our life in Christ, and we know that our lives are complete in Christ, and we know that when we breathe our last breath and life in this earth, we shall live in Christ forevermore. Can you say amen? And that's the reason we define find ourselves here, our mission is celebrating God's love by becoming passionate followers of Jesus Christ. It's not unusual to hear people talk about God in our world today. It's not unusual to hear people take God's name in vain. It's not unusual to find that language doesn't mean what it used to mean anymore because words that were once sacred and holy now have lost its holiness in the lives of many people in the culture But it's why we call this series we're going through right now The Winning Walk. A winning walk is a a generous life, but it's also living a life where we become a blessing because we don't want to just have God talk. We want to have a God walk. Can you say amen to that? And we know that the beginning of winning is always in the beginning. It's, It's when you begin in Christ. It's when God calls you to salvation. God has called you to blessing. God has called you to success. God has called you to be more more than an overcomer. There's not a person in this room that God has called you to be a failure because God is not a failure at anything that he does. And so this morning, I'd like to say to you, sir, number one, you can be a joyful man. You can live a life that is full of joy and full of power and full of enthusiasm. And you say, Pastor, how do you know I can live that life? Because you are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, you can be in Christ today. You can invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You can trust Jesus to forgive you of your sins. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. The moment you say, Jesus Christ, I surrender my life to you. I believe that you have forgiven me of my sins sins and I now surrender my life. I want to follow you. I want to live for you. I want to live life your way. That's the beginning of your winning walk in Jesus Christ. That's the beginning of a new life in Christ. And with the forgiveness of sins, God brings a joy into your life. I have recommended so many times Dallas Willard's books here. In my opinion, Dallas Willard is Probably the most profound Christian philosopher that has lived since Francis Schaeffer And Dallas just a few years ago went to be with the Lord. I was introduced by Dallas to by a mentor of mine in Macon, Georgia, because that's where Dallas's wife is from. And he taught psychology and sociology at the University of California, but he was a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And, and I just love his books. Every, they're not easy books to read. You've got to think, you've got to take notes, you've got to ponder. But I was listening a few months ago to a lecture that Dallas had given. And as I listened to this lecture, my heart was just soaring. I was, was out for a walk and I was thinking and exercising and I was listening to this lecture, but Dallas told an experience he had of speaking in South Africa. And his host said, I want to show you the most beautiful ocean scene in the world. And Dallas said, you know, I live on the West Coast. I have a home in the Northwest. I've seen beautiful ocean views, you know, for most of my life. And so I just kind of took it with a grain of salt to humor my host. But he says, when we came over the mountain and we looked out over the coast to South Africa, he said, it literally took my breath away. He said, my host was right. It was the most beautiful ocean scene I'd ever seen in my life we drove down to the beach and walked along the beach, and you could see the porpoises jumping out of the water. You could see the, the birds. You could see so much life and activity, and he says, as I stood on the shore looking out at this scene that took my breath away, he said, I thought, I have a few saltwater fish in my aquarium at home, and I can sit for hours watching those saltwater fish, and they bring such joy to me. They bring such happiness to me sitting in front of my aquarium, but God God has got this entire ocean covering the globe and God takes joy in our broken and in our fallen world that sin has tainted. God takes joy in broken, fallen people like us and he saved us from our sins. He said, I came to the conclusion that God must be the most joyous being in the entire universe because if God can find joy in a broken world and in broken people, he came to save. How can I not find joy in the Lord? And he said, for the first time, I really understood what Nehemiah said. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And that's what Psalms 128 is promising to you this morning. How joyful are those who fear the Lord. All who follow his ways. Would you underline that phrase, follow his ways? Yes, you can become a follower of Jesus this morning. You can be saved from your sins this morning. But you see, the caveat here is the joy comes when you follow his ways. What this scripture tells me is right thinking will lead to right living. Right thinking will lead to right acting. It's the reason that we always want to be careful about what we meditate upon and what we dwell upon. Last night when I crawled into the bed beside my wife and I just as I normally do, I just close my eyes and once again I pray to said, Lord, let my dreams, let my meditations as I sleep tonight, let them be pleasing unto you and when I wake up in the morning, let me awaken with the joy of the Lord as my strength, let me awaken having been renewed in my sleep. There is a joy to be found in Jesus, not only when you meditate upon his ways, but when you live the way that God has called us to live. I was sometimes a bad example as a dad. I confess it. I know all of you were perfect dads. So let me just kind of find some healing in your grace and your forgiveness. Let's let this be like one gym in our area. This is a no-judgment zone this morning, okay? I love desserts. I love banana pudding. I love German chocolate cake. If it's dessert, I love it. I don't think I've ever met a dessert I didn't love. And so I have a really bad habit of when Becky makes a cake, I go in and I get some of the icing off of it. If the meal is taking too long, I cut a tiny little slice, and then I pull the frosting down to cover it up so she doesn't know. But she's like God. She always knows. And my kids would see me, so they'd come along and get a swipe off the cake or say, Dad, can I have some? So I cut a sign... And we were constantly doing this. And I said, honey, the rules are wrong. Every meal should start with dessert. Can I get an amen this morning? Amen. Every meal should start with desserts. But my wife is the smarter of us. She is the wiser of us. And our kids would often come up wanting candy or treats before a meal. And she'd say, no, because she says, if you have candy, if you have dessert, the way your, your evil father is tempting you to live, then you're not going to be hungry for the really nutritious things, for the really good things that you want. Now, you think I'm just saying this. This is no exaggeration. My kids mock me for when the meal is over, they'll all say, Watch for desserts because they know that's what I'm going to say. And she says, You need the nutritious things in life. And you know, that's kind of the way it is with God because most of us, we want all the joy without the nutritious things we need in life the Word of God, acting upon the Word of God feeding upon the word of God, spending time in worship and prayer. We want our senses. We want our, the things that happen around us to make us happy. But sometimes God knows we need to go through the desert. Sometimes God knows we need to go into the furnace like the three Hebrew children. But Jesus always goes into the furnace with us, doesn't he? Sometimes we have to pass through the flood, but Jesus always takes us through the flood. Sometimes we have to go through the valley of suffering, but God is always with us and when we come out on the other side we find out it's not desert that has made us the people of God it's the suffering, it's the desert it's feeding upon the word of God God strengthens us and he makes us more than overcomers we conquer every furnace, we conquer every flood, we conquer every desert because we live in Jesus Christ. Somebody please give him a hand of praise this morning we're more than overcomers all the joys Oh, listen to that. All the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Psalms and Proverbs is filled with descriptions about the mocker. Psalms and Proverbs are filled with descriptions about the scornful, the negative people who who are always criticizing. Psalms and Proverbs is filled with descriptions about the end of their life. But God says, when you follow my ways, when you live according to my word, you will discover joy. And you know, in all candor this morning, I've never talked with anybody that's lived for Jesus and followed his ways, been a passionate follower of Christ, who said to me, I regret my decision to become a Christian. Now, like your pastor, there's been a lot of people who says, I regret some of the decisions I've made. But I've never regretted my decision to follow Christ. And in particular this morning, if you're here with us as our guest today and you don't know Jesus, I I said what I said at the beginning of this message intentionally. You see, God is a blessing God. It's the heart of God to bless us. It's the heart of God to touch our lives and bless us. It's what he did in creation. He created the world, he blessed it. He created a family, he blessed them. He created a seventh day and he blessed it. God wants to bless you, but too many people I talk to, especially in our community, they think God is out to get them. They think Jesus is watching for the mistake they make. They think Jesus is remembering the bad things they did. They, it reminds me of the story of the thief that broke into the house. And when he broke into the house, he was trying to be quiet, and all of a sudden he heard a voice say, I see you, and Jesus sees you. And the thief froze. He moved again. I see you and Jesus sees you and he wondered what it was and so he shone his light around and he flight fell upon a parrot in a cage And the parrot looked at him again and says, I see you and Jesus sees you. And the thief thought to himself, I gotta kill this parrot before he wakes everybody up in the house and I'm caught and I'm apprehended. And so he began to move towards the cage to kill the parrot. And as he moved towards the cage, the parrot said again, I see you and Jesus sees you. And suddenly the light of his flashlight illuminated a big Rottweiler laying below the parrot's cage. And the parrot looked down and says, "Sick him, Jesus. And so many of us, we we think that God is out to sick us, and we think God is out to get us. God is not out to catch you doing something wrong. God is out to catch you doing something right and to bless your life and to fill you with joy. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? He's a good God, good God. Second thing I want you to see this morning is God will bless our work. God will bless our work. Did you know the word blessing just in the Old Testament alone is used over 400 times? I love sitting with some of my Jewish friends and we get together and we talk about the differences between what Jews and Christians believe about Jesus. And then we try to find common ground on what we do believe, especially when it comes to working for the good of the culture that we live in and for the good of the nation. And one of the things that we come away with that we both agree on is that God is a blessing God because in the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, God is always seeking to bless what we do. It's interesting to me, the whole story, as I've told you already, God blesses creation. Why does he bless the seventh day? Because God wants you to rest. God wired you. God created you to rest. You, You need to rest, there's something about you. There's something about it. if you grew up in an agrarian society, even your beast rest, your your animals rested, those that work for you rested. But when money becomes our god, there's never enough. When money becomes our god or when slavery becomes our god, there's never enough. So we find ourselves working constantly. We find ourselves working not only overtime but working on Sundays and for not worshipping because we want more money. But the seventh day God creates so that we can enjoy him together as a family. We can enjoy him together as a church family. We can come together to worship. But then it's interesting to me, this great God, and I take you back to the cross this morning, this great God that when we sinned, he didn't give up on us, and the world became corrupt, and the world became violent, and the world became evil, that God spoke to Noah He says, Noah, because you love me, because you serve me, I'm going to save you and I'm going to save your family. But what does God say to Noah after he saves his family? The Bible says, God bless Noah and his son saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And I hope this doesn't sound disrespectful or sacrilegious. But I wrote this down. This is in my journal. I stand before the Lord and tell you, God can't help himself. It's in the very essence of who God is that God always blesses people who follow him. He blesses blesses Abraham. And he says to Abraham, something different. There's a big transition. There's this Magnitude, there's this earthquake of a shift. God blesses Abraham and He says, Abraham, now you're going to be a blessing to everyone else. And the blessings of Abraham have passed on to the church. And the church is to be a blessing to the rest of the world. You and I are to be a blessing to the community that we live in. The problem in our society, and especially with a lot of modern day Christians, is we want God to enhance all of our personal blessings so that we and our family will be safe when God has called us, not only, God has said to us, not only will I save your family, but I will make you a blessing to your neighbors and to the rest of the world. God wants his blessings to flow through you. It's why I said this morning that when you give, it's one of the purest acts of worship. You're giving to bless others. You're giving so that missionaries can have their needs met and minister to. I sat with a missionary this week brokenhearted who has had to come home because for whatever the reasons in a dire part of our world, he has lost almost 50% of his support. And he just sat down and said, can you help us? And I said, yes, we're going to help you. We're going to partner with you. I had another missionary write me yesterday with a serious health need, not asking for money, but saying, would you please pray for us? We're facing a serious health crisis in our family on the field, and there's not any help here. There's no way they can get the help without being evacuated out of there, but they don't want to be evacuated. They want to stay in the minister. I got another letter from a missionary just last night before the prayer service that we had, and we prayed for that missionary. You see, when you give, you're not only feeding children, you're not only building clinics and schools, but you are empowering those that are serving in various places around the world. And I say this with no exaggeration. Woodland Church is being a blessing to people around the world. Because we don't want to just enhance our blessedness. It's not about God bless me. It's about God make me a blessing to the rest of the world. Somebody say praise the Lord this morning. It's what God does. But then God also says you will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Because when you put God first, that's what God does in your life. Now, Psalms 127, now remember, Psalms 127 says, Without the Lord, your work is vain. Without the Lord, your work is useless. But when you follow his ways, God says, I will bless you. God says that if we put him first in our life, not only will he bless our work, He will bless our food. He will bless our families. He will bless our projects. When you put God first, God puts you first in everything he does. You say, Pastor, that just sounds like prosperity preaching. Well, it's prosperity preaching, but maybe not in the sense you're thinking. I'm not saying if you give God $1,000, you're going to get a Cadillac. We don't give to get from God. We give to God because we love God and we trust God like every child can trust a good dad. My father in heaven is going to take care of me. Seek you first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and he will take care of everything else in your life, Jesus said. Give him one more hand of praise this morning. (laughs) Becky and I were talking just recently. We were talking about all the years of ministry and the memories that we share together. Funny stories, heartbreaking stories, stories that only the two of us can share, stories that literally circle the globe. And we were sitting there in the bed, and before we went to sleep, we just prayed, God, I want the promise that you made through the prophet Haggai. I want the promise that you made through the prophet Joel. I want our latter days to be more blessed than all of our former days put together. And I want, Lord, for Becky and I to get old with a fullness that comes from the Holy Spirit that makes us better and not bitter and that our dreams are good dreams. That when you come to see me and I'm old and feeble and can't move anymore and you look down at my face, there's going to be a silly grin there and you're going to say, Pastor is having good dreams of all the good things that God has done. Our God is an awesome God this morning. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Well, look at this verse. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically. VBX starts tomorrow. Show up enthusiastically. I didn't expect to get shouted down right there. So, now that I've sowed the seed, VBX starts tomorrow. So, show up enthusiastically. Amen. Those children need you. They need to be blessed by. Do you know we have close to 40 children from the community outside of Woodland that have registered for VBX tomorrow? Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? We're going to be loving them, ministering to them. Here's why you work. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Everything you do for Christ. Everything you do for Christ. God rewards you for it. Number three, God will bless your marriage and family. God will bless your marriage and family. Now, this scripture is not promising utopia in your family. If you come to me this morning and you say, Pastor, my family is utopia, I'm going to look at you and go, You're smoking crack. <laughs> we need to go to the altar right now and have a deliverance prayer. There's no family that's this utopia. We're all saved sinners by grace. And we're all learning to live together. I mean, she's perfect in every way for me. But sometimes Becky and I, we still come to loggerheads. And I got to tell you something. That woman's fierce. She's fierce. Once she's got her mind set on something, she's fierce. And I'm glad she's like that. My mother told me one time, she says, honey, honey. Becky is so sweet, she's just peaches and cream. She says, I'm afraid she didn't have enough spunk to live with you. I said, Mama, you don't know everything about Becky. (laughs) I learn quick. You see, all of us were learning to live together. We're learning to do life together as families together in a church. The Bible doesn't say that there aren't I mean, that we're going to have a utopia that they're not exceptions. Let me go back to the cross. God, the perfect father, created you and I. And you and I rebelled against God. That's why we're all here this morning. It's because God saved his rebellious children. By faith, Noah obeyed the Lord and he built a boat to save his family. You see... There's truth that if you train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That's a truth. I believe that. The way you bend the twig is the way the tree is going to grow. I learned that from my dad. The way you bend a twig is the way the tree is going to grow. One of my best friends, he worked for me eight years, Gene Whitehead. He was retired Navy chief. Anybody that retired or was in the Navy here this morning? No one? Well, Gene was, I'm telling you, Gene was salty when he came to work for me. He was a great guy. He was a smart guy. He was a brilliant guy. Every once in a while, because I'd have to say, Gene, we can't talk like that here. That's not the way we talk here. And he'd go, oh, and he always called me Brother Dennis. Oh, Brother Dennis, I'm so sorry. I know better. But he says, when you spend as many years in the Navy I've, you've just, things come out that you don't want to come out. And I go, well, we're going to pray about that, Gene. And we'd stop wherever and we'd pray. And Gene had a temper. I mean, I could see him coming. The fume. if you've ever seen those cartoon characters of somebody turning red and steam coming out of their ears. That was Gene. And, and, and Gene, I watched him grow in grace. He, he got to where he come to the camp services and we pray together in the altars. And one day we're sitting down by the pond at the lake. We had about a five-acre little pond there. And one day Gene and I are sitting there. We're having a cup of coffee. And he goes, you know, I need to tell you something. He says, my daddy was a godly man, Brother Dennis. He raised me in the way that I ought to live. He said, but when I got older, I decided I didn't want anything to do with that life that my mom and daddy were living. And he says, I joined the Navy. I ran away from home. I joined the Navy. I worked my way up. And he says, but I never found anything good in the way I was living. He said, I made some bad decisions as a young man. I made some bad decisions in marriage. I made some bad decisions with my children. But Gene gave his heart to Jesus. Gene was born again. Gene flipped out what the Bible says, that when he was old, he would not depart. He came back to the faith of his father. And Gene's wife became a Christian, though his daughter didn't become a Christian. His grandson became a Christian. I want you to know this morning, the Bible is a promising utopia, but God will never, never, never give up on your children and your grandchildren. He's made a covenant with you. I know that God will deal with by great-great-grandchildren in the years to come because he is a faithful, promise-keeping God. Somebody say amen this morning. He's faithful. Look at verse 3. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. This is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. Now, this doesn't mean that your wife's simply gonna produce a lot of children. So, that's not what this is saying, that you gotta have 12 kids. And it's also not saying that this is just about sex. This passage of scripture is really saying in so many ways because the vine is symbolic of joy. The vine is symbolic of abundance. The vine is symbolic of God's blessing. And the, the olive tree, there's another symbolism there. It takes a lot of work, and it takes time to raise olive trees. It takes time to raise them to the place where they become, become fruitful. And they endure. I have sat and prayed and journaled under the olive trees. They grew up from the roots of the olive trees that were there. The Turks cut them down. They grew up from the roots of the olive trees that were there when Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. And I sat there praying and, and, and thinking and meditating in those very olive trees. But what it's saying is your children will be vigorous. Your children will be productive. But it takes time to grow them. And the Bible equates in so many ways the whole the place of blessing, that your home will be a wonderful place to come home to. Look at Song of Solomon's chapter 7 and verse 6. You are beautiful, so very desirable. If you're sitting with your wife this morning, look at her and say, you are beautiful and you are so very desirable. You are gorgeous and so very desirable. Come on, victory. Now, Is there any woman in here that you go, I don't like to hear that. Of course not. Man, when Becky looks at me and gives me that smile, I go, hubba, hubba, hubba. (laughs) I mean, that's a good feeling. He goes on, he says, my darling, I am yours. You desire me. Let me stroll through the fields and sleep in the villages. What's he saying? That when you come home, it's time to forget about work. When you come home, it's time to be with your family and with your children. It's hard to do in today's social media because our smartphones go off and somebody from the office feels like they can call and interrupt our evening or we're we're on our phones texting and tweeting and Facebooking. I've shared with you before some of my issues with that. I've gone into restaurants, nice restaurants, and people aren't talking with each other. They look like they're just glued, pecking away on these things. God says our homes are to be a place of refuge. And I gotta tell you something. In the scripture, now listen, this is important. In the scripture when it came to agrarian crops, there was nothing more valued than the vine and the olive tree. And there is nothing more important in your life, sir, than your wife and your children. Nothing more important than your wife and children. There was a time in this nation when we consider children an asset and not a liability. But I have news for you. In the church, children are still an asset to us. Amen? And then finally this morning, God will bless our nation through godly families. America needs godly families. We used to say the church is built upon strong families. But you know, the older I've gotten and the more I've studied the word, the nation is built upon strong families. Ronald Reagan acknowledged this in his speeches of how the nation not only needed strong marriages, but they needed strong families. He also acknowledged the need in his writing and his journal of how much we needed the blessing of strong fathers. It was Michael Reagan that would later write about the healing that came about because of the distance between him and his father. When his dad finally spoke those words to him, our president, Michael, I love you and I'm proud of you. There's something that a son needs to hear from his father. A mother's words can't do that, but a father's words can do that. And so the scripture tells us, if you'll look at verse five, May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. And may you live to see your children's children. When I was writing this this week, I just got down on my knees and I said, God, thank you that you've let me live to see Nolan and Davin and Josiah. You've kept your word to me And to see these grandchildren. And when I go to your high school graduations and I see your grandparents with their children, I see the blessing of God. There's no perfect family. But I'll tell you this, America is stronger because of godly families. When I read some of the current political events and things that are saying, I think to myself often, if there were godly moms and dads, raising godly children, just more of them like you, we wouldn't hear some of this talk about the government having to take care of us because we would learn the blessing that comes when we put God first. God takes care and blesses and prospers His people. And everybody that knows that to be true said, Amen. Amen. I want you to watch this video before I walk you through the growth work this morning and we come to the altar and pray. I was really taken, this book of letters, I was really taken with some of the correspondence between sons and dads and daughters and dads. And when I saw this video, it just seemed to fit in how I want to close this message and I think you're really going to enjoy it.
1: catch tanks on the baseball field, he'll look to you to make sure you're smiling. When her friends make the fourth grade pep squad but she doesn't, she'll look to you for comfort. When she feels misunderstood by her brothers and sisters, she'll look to you for understanding. They'll never stop looking at you. When she walks down the aisle on that magical day, she'll look to you for peace to her anxious heart. When he plays his first concert with his new band, he'll look to your face in the crowd. When she makes choices that will break your heart, she'll eventually look to you for forgiveness and restoration. They'll never stop. stop, you must never stop looking to God. They don't need you to be perfect. They just need you to be authentic and offer them Jesus anyway. They need you to try your very best, and even if you fail, they need to see you rise up again. They need you to fall hard after Jesus as best you can. Because they will never stop looking to you. Son, I'm writing these words to you because you are and always have been the legacy I wanted to And now it's your turn, it's your chance. That's
0: the way God created it to be. Would you stand with me this morning? And I'm going to ask all of the men if you would come. All of our men. just stand with Fay. there's not a day that goes by. I don't miss my dad. My dad was a great encourager. One day I was getting ready to go overseas and my dad showed up in his red pickup. his dad's everything okay we'd already said our goodbyes. We'd already had a dinner with him. He goes, everything's great. He says, son, I just wanted to come tell you how proud I am of you. And we stood there. Buford Clanton was a give. I only saw him cry three times in my life. And that day he, he cried. He just hugged me. Becky's father, every time he was with me in a service and I preached, he would bring me a Diet Coke, because this might surprise you. After I get done preaching, there's nothing better than a Diet Coca-Cola just to cleanse your throats. He'd bring me a Diet Coke. I remember one particular time I really achieved a dream. I'd worked hard to achieve that dream. Becky's dad came by and says, Francis and I want to take you all out to dinner. He says, Where do you want to go? Anywhere you want to go what I really wanted I said it's going to surprise you I want pancakes lots of pancakes so we went out to a pancake house we were blessed with good dads not perfect dads not perfect dads but here's some things I've learned from the scripture and from the example before me every day and these are all in your outline you don't have to worry about filling them out every day you've got to decide to be a great dad not a perfect dad but you have to make that decision every day I'm going to be a great dad not perfect but you're just going to work to be the very best dad you can be that don't mean you won't ever lose your temper that don't mean you won't ever say something you shouldn't say that don't mean you won't ever make a mistake but all great men have flaws all great leaders have flaws And the greater success you have, the more your flaws will be exposed. That's what the enemy does. So don't try to cover up your flaws. Just determine, I'm going to be the best dad I can be. And how do you do that? You you do that by being a cheerleader to your kids. Cheer them on. Everybody catches them doing something wrong. You catch them doing something right everybody catches your kids doing something wrong. You catch your kid and you celebrate it with them. Be a cheerleader. Not only be a cheerleader, but come to those kids and and challenge them. Tom Brady, and this pains me to even say his name, Tom Brady. You got to understand, I have never liked to do anything. It has nothing to do with him being a Wolverine. It has everything to do with him being a patriot and playing for Bill Belichick now that that's off my soul I feel better (laughs) but a reporter was invited which really happens in to a training Belichick leaned Brady out chewed him out reporter later asked Brady about it and says how do you feel about that I mean I would have thought he'd be so you're the greatest quarterback ever and Brady says oh I love it he said I love it when coach challenges me I love it when coach calls the best. You believe your kids can achieve more than what they're achieving when they're just kind of surfing along. Don't you let your kids surf in life. Don't you let your kids float in life. You challenge your kids. You be a coach to them. But you see, as a dad, this is what a lot of dads don't like. You've got to clear the way. You've got to remove the obstacles. Sometimes that means clearing what's in your home, that's available on the cable television or available on the internet. That means going ahead of your kids like a shepherd because there are things that can kill your kids and you you clear the way, you clear the fields for them. That means like some dads I know who've even sold their homes at a loss, taken a hit on their house. Biggest investment most of us make, taking a hit on their house to get their kids out of a neighborhood that's having problems with drugs or things of that nature. You clear the way. And then finally, or secondly, I'd say, you wanna live a life that 30 years from now, you're gonna be glad you lived. 30 years from now, you're gonna, I mean, I want you to go 50,000 foot in the air. I want you to soar, get up there, and go, how do I wanna be remembered? When I am 93 years old, I want my kids to be looking at me and say, Dad, you showed me how to get old. Dad, you showed me how to love my wife as I go. You showed me how to, to be blessed and how to have stamina and vigor and energy. You showed me, Dad, not just to retire and play shuffleboard. I think shuffleboard is like six feet below hell. I really do. I've seen those people down in Tampa, St. Pete area shriveled up playing shuffleboards. There must be more than this. You show them live a life 30 years from now that they saw you praying sharing God's word. And then finally, don't you ever, ever, ever underestimate the power of being a godly dad. You hear me? You hear me, Justin? Don't ever underestimate the power in being a godly dad. Don't you miss it? Don't you miss it? There's power in being a man of God. There's blessing. God will unleash heaven upon your family. God will fight your battles for you if you will put him first. And one day Hall of Fame. And you'll be written about about your children because that's the way God intended it to be. Amen? So, guys, I want you to move out and just begin to pray for these men as I pray. And can I speak to some of you ladies? If you're a single mom, would you come right over here and join with Faye? And let Faye pray with you and bless you because you're being both a father and a mother. If you're widowed or divorced please come right over here and just join with faye and i'm going to pray right now for all of us lord jesus i thank you for the blessing of manhood a few weeks ago we celebrated the blessings of femininity and being a woman as becky brought that powerful word but i thank you for the blessing of masculinity i thank you for the blessing of being a man And I thank you for the blessing of being a man of God who puts his faith and his trust in you. And I ask you today in Jesus' name that if there are chains that need to be broken, hear me from heaven, O Lord. Answer me from heaven today. If there are chains in this altar that need to be broken, break those chains in the name of Jesus Christ. If they're chains of memories that bring pain, if they're chains, Lord, of abandonment, if they're chains, Lord, of addictions or controlling habits, break those chains in the name of Jesus. Satan, you have no authority in this place or in this altar in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that right now you will give to every man a vision, not of living my life, Lord, but of living the life you have called them to live. Father, whether it's as a teacher or a carpenter or a mechanic or a truck driver, a doctor, Lord, or physician, I pray in the name of Jesus, would you show them, let them hear like Noah heard the word of the Lord for them and their family and their generation, I pray. And God, I'm you that that vision will motivate them that vision will propel them that vision lord will give them motivation to get up in the morning and say i'm going to be the greatest dad ever and jesus we are raising children along with our wives god how we raise those children It requires more than the wisdom of Solomon. It requires more than the skill, Lord Jesus, of Noah building an ark. It requires the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Lord. You know the hearts of our children, and you entrusted us with these children to raise. And so I pray that you will help us to have eyes that are discerning, ears that are listening, Lord, to see into the hearts and lives of our children. To know what motivates them, to know what encourages them, to know what discourages them, Lord, to know what detracts them, Lord, but Father, to help them find the way and the path that you've chosen them to live. God, give us the faith that as the twig is bent, so the tree shall grow. And then finally this morning, I ask you to baptize these men with a holy anointing of joy. God, you enjoy this broken world. You love and delight in us. You dance over us, the scripture says. Now, Jesus, I ask you to let us rejoice and delight in the Lord our God. For the joy of the Lord is my strength. And all the men said, Amen, Amen, and Amen. Let's give him another hand of praise.